Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro. David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Okay, welcome back into the House of Mystery. We're at the interview part of the show. Um, so joining us today is uh, Canadian author Paul Lafferty. How are you today? Fantastic. Thanks, guys. How are you? Wonderful. Good, good. Delicious. <laughs> Disturbed. So um, <laughs> now uh, let's talk about you. So how, how did this all, how did you become a writer? Like where, where did it come from? Uh, you know what, this is something like most people I've toyed about since I was a kid. I remember always writing little things down. I always remember being the kid in class who would send you a stupid note so you would crack up and be thrown out of class. And then I would be like, hey, I didn't write that. That's not mine. Uh, <laughs> I've always had little ideas like that. And then from what I did for a living for all those years, uh, you know, you start telling people little stories or you start putting stuff out there and people say, well, you know, that's not bad. Put it together. So I've always wanted to do the idea, and then five, six years ago, it started coming together. It started all uh, falling into place, and we started with this first book, Downtown. Well, but um, so when you – so you have some interesting uh, things that happen in your life, and people seem to, to like to hear the stories. How do you get the confidence to actually put it in paper, to actually write it? 
You know what? Uh, near the end, it, it, hopefully it's something that will come up with one of the other stories. Uh, what happened with me was, it's kind of a strange story. I started doing this job as a part-time job. When I got out of university, I started working as a bouncer uh, in a strip club. And within a couple of years, I was helping the guy who owned it run three different clubs. And it sounds really crazy. It's not a big rags to riches story. It's not, you know, I was out there killing people or anything. But, you know, within a couple of years, you know, like I bought a house. I had money in the bank. I, you know, I had two cars, I, I had a motorcycle, I had all that done. And then when, when this guy went through some bad luck and the industry itself just kind of changed, all of a sudden I was back to making $500 a week. Uh-huh. And no, disre- no disrespect to anybody who, you know, who's having problems with money, but it was a little hard to swallow. And I said, how did it go from this to this? Whoa, way all the way back down. Wait, so you, when you were making 500 a week, were you still with the same guy, like, doing bouncing, or you were just thrown out of that business? No, what happened was I finally decided to leave. I went to go work, well, I guess for Canada, it's a normal job. I went to go work at a casino. Uh, I hated every second of it. And mm-hmm. then someone else came back and said, why don't you come back and work part-time for who was our biggest rival? And he was, he just, maybe I was too far into how I was doing things, or maybe I was just too used to being with the one company because I'd been with them for almost 10 years, uh, that it just, it, it wasn't fun anymore. It wasn't a job for an adult. I didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, luckily he put me in charge of a club that nobody came to. So I just spent my nights starting to write the, the, the manuscript for this book. Uh, so the manuscript uh, looks back in the, in the rear view mirror. Does it focus more on the time when you were writing high? Um, uh, Yes. So then that that was kind of the problem that, you know, I was explaining to you guys earlier. It didn't really have a focus. It didn't have uh, much of an actual story. It was more like a book of anecdotes, which I'd like to do somewhere down the line, too, if people still like these ones. But the the theory being with the people that I had spoken to was, you know, probably no one is really going to buy this uh, as is because, you know, nobody knows who you are. There's not much context for all of these stories. Why don't you go back? and write a fictional one. So I said, okay, mm. let's try that. And that was the end result of what came up. Oh, so you had initially done a nonfiction version, or at least yes, started it's, sit, it's yeah. sitting in a drawer somewhere. Eh, it's a little wow. more than half done. Wow, yeah. okay, okay. What did you prefer? Um, so it, it seemed like it was hinged on more of a business decision to go fictionalized, but did you? which one did you prefer actually writing? Uh, to be perfectly honest, it, it's hard to say. The first one was from a very angry... Uh, not very happy with myself and everybody around me point of view. So I'm sure if I pulled it out of the drawer now, I'd be like, Oh, I was really pissed off. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. this one was a little more fun because I could play with it. I, of course, you know, when you're writing nonfiction or sorry, when you're writing fiction, you can go over the top and you can be all crazy. So that was a little more fun to put the things in that, that people might say, well, that would have never happened because I can say to them, well, yeah, that totally happened. I just had to make it fiction. So nobody comes back and I get in trouble for it. Right, right, right. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You can always uh, revert to saying, "Hey, as a matter of fact, it didn't happen." Yeah. So yeah. That was that was part of the, the problem with that was there was a few instances in there that I, I I've had at least two friends call me and say, "I remember having this conversation with you," and I'm like, "Well, it's not exactly, you know, what we said." And they're like, "No, it's pretty well exactly what we said." So, oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is that exciting uh, to work to work at a strip club, or is it is it just drab and not all it's uh it's cracked up to be or like what, what, what was that experience what i always tell everybody is it was a it was a mini version of, of the movie casino okay uh we finally had the point where 
uh, like everybody knew who we were in the other clubs. So we would have one of two situations. We were the number two club in town. We were never the, the number one club in town. Our, our rival mm-hmm. far out, uh, far out showed us, so to speak. But it finally got to the point where it was one of two things. We would go out on a Monday night and we would go to the, we would go to another club or we would go somewhere else. And, you know, it sounds really silly and pointless now, but we'd be treated like royalty. You wouldn't pay for your drinks. There'd be people sitting all over our table. There'd be people asking us for, uh, for jobs. Or you had the opposite to it, which we couldn't even get in the door because people didn't want to deal with us because we were from another club. So it really gave us both sides of seeing what a, what a small, minute little piece of fame is like. And then, right, you right. know, all, all the stuff that you have to deal with in that business, law enforcement, uh, organized crime, people who probably couldn't hold a regular job anywhere else. And then, you know, there were other days where I make the point in the first book and I, I continue it on in the second one. And some days I sat in the office and read the newspaper. Oh, uh, yeah, it was, it's more, more uh, mundane. Yeah. So, I mean, there were times where it was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. Or somebody would read something in the paper and say, was that you? And I would have to say, well, yeah, that was that. Was <laughs> but a lot of other times, yeah, you know, still, you know, somebody's got to, somebody's got to, Buy the liquor order. You know, somebody's got to make sure all the bills are paid. Somebody's got to make sure, you know, the toilet isn't broken. I didn't have too many of those responsibilities. I was more dealing with the staff and how, when you came to see the show, how it how it ran when you were inside. But by and large, it was, you know, it, it, there's no doubt it was fun and it was it was it was definitely financially uh, benefiting to me, or I, I wouldn't have stayed so long. And it was uh, you said that was about a period of a decade where it was uh, financially beneficial. Oh, huge. Yeah. 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 Wow. We're in a very unique situation. I'm in Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada. And what happens is when you cross into New York state, you can have, uh, it might've changed by now. I'm not 100% sure, but at one time uh, you either, you went to a club and women did not get fully naked and you were served alcohol. Okay. Uh, Or you went into a club and women were fully naked, but they were not alert to serve alcohol. They were not allowed to serve alcohol. Uh, Canada is kind of known as the Wild West. Uh, get naked. Uh, just uh, get naked. And unfortunately, you know, things I'm not too proud of, but a, a lot of what we let the girls get away with. So it finally came to the point where we were in a club big enough that I was responsible for between 75 and 100 girls a night. Nice. So talk to me about uh, what responsible means. Like, what were you exactly doing in the course of managing them? Uh, basically, what we had to do was my boss came up with this insane idea that he wanted a mini version of a Vegas show. So we were one of the few clubs that had more than one girl on at one time. So you could come in and the original idea was at the one end of the club, you had uh, a girl dancing on stage. And at the far end of the club, you had another girl dancing on stage. So my job was to match up these two girls, which sounds pretty easy. But since they all hate each other, it wasn't as easy as it sounds. And then within a couple of months, he came to us one night. He was always one of these guys with these fantastic, huge ideas. And you would always humor him and say, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. And then you'd never hear about it again. Uh, We were sitting down on a Saturday after a huge night and him saying, you know, we're not taking full advantage of what we have here. We have all these girls and we have all these things running. So we're going to have six girls running at the same time. Okay. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, okay, sure. And never brought up with him again. And then um, I came in the Monday morning and they had built four other stages. So my biggest responsibility was to take the list of girls to find six girls who would kill each other and have them all go on stage. And then, of course, you know, I don't like her music. I don't like her. Well, you're not on stage with her. You're dancing at the same time she was. So basically the biggest part of the job was 
to make deals with these girls to say, okay, if you go on now, like I'll leave you alone for two hours. Because I don't think anybody ever thinks of the mathematics of it. Even with a DJ who talks a lot, our, our time span was you were putting on four girls an hour with little mm-hmm. breaks and stuff in between. So if you times that by six, a little simple math there, we've got 24 girls an hour. So even with your 75 to 100 girls and little mishaps, they're all going on every – we used to figure about every two and a half hours. And I would mm-hmm. tell them, this is your promo for people seeing you and people want to dance in the back. But then, you know, right. they're in the back and they don't want to come out or they would hide or, you know, I'd tell them they were on stage and the next thing they'd be doing – it's getting changed to go home. And I'm like, what are you doing? So it's just, yeah. <laughs> it sounds really silly to somebody who's never done it before, but I basically had to run this show every evening. Oh, and yeah. Then- now that is hard. I mean, imagine anyone is hard, and let alone in an industry that's so uh, unconventional, you're going to have like more extreme personality types, I imagine. And then what, what would happen was, uh, and I, most of the other management I got along with, most of the other guys were good guys, and we had things that we were responsible for. And it was always understood that this was, this was my show. This is, this is what I was responsible for. But you get the new guy who, uh, you know, I didn't want to point with the boss or didn't get along with you. Well, why don't we do it this way? And then I'd always have to say, well, you know, why don't you shut up? Because I've done yeah. this for a while and I don't really need your help. So usually yeah. it was external forces. Like everything else, I got a, I got a, uh, I got a, uh, a, a system of doing it. I brought in a buddy named, uh, well, he was already working there, but a guy named Lee Beaupre wanted to become a really good friend of mine who helped me do it. So we kind of played off each other. If I was the bad cop, he was the good cop. With the girls that he had to be the bad cop with, I was the good cop saying, okay, well, Lee told you this, I'll do that. So right. and like everything else in the world, it has to have some kind of a system because the original idea where the boss saying, well, you know, just leave up a sign-up sheet and they'll show up when, when they're supposed to. Yeah, no, that wasn't ever, ever, ever going to work. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. That was the biggest part of my job. I wasn't the money guy. I wasn't the guy who made the made the schedule. Uh, for lack of a better term, I was the guy responsible for who you saw naked on stage when you came in. Right. Is, is that the main, that's the main frame of what you're depicting in the novel? That, that, uh, that this job. one, not so much. This one I made okay. more of a little, the first one I made more of a crime novel. Okay. So okay. we could have an actual story about it with the bar being the backdrop. And a couple I of see. comments that I got from other friends was, that was great. Okay, that's, well, that's good. I mean, they want more. Yeah. Uh, when a couple of people reached out and said, was that was great, but all the crazy bar stories and all the stuff you said over the years, why don't you incorporate that one in? So I'm kind of trying to do a flip, and I hope I don't fall on my face with it, but basically what the second one is going to be, the the gang issue and the organized crime issue is going to kind of be pushed to the, the backstory of the book, where the, the running the bar and all the craziness and telling people those stories is the main focus of this second. Oh, nice, interesting. And again, I, in the first one, you've got biker gangs, you've got the mafia, and is yeah. that uh, is that heavily fictionalized, or no. is that <laughs> not at uh, all. yeah? <laughs> Unfortunately, not. Yeah. So you're not at all. Your tone into reality. Yeah, uh, there was quite a few times where we had to bump up against these guys, where uh, you know different words were exchanged. I got out really lucky. Most of those guys saw me as a pretty normal, harmless guy. Uh, there were some other guys that got involved with them. You know, things didn't turn out too well. They, you know, got some pretty pretty big drug habits. One of going to jail, this and that. Uh, I I don't want to sermonize about about organized crime or anything like that. I've always been fascinated with it, but you know, if you're if you're the schlub in an organized crime racket, you know, it's the same as being the schlub in life. You're not really getting too far ahead, right? Right. You know, and it's just a lot of these guys. You know, it's the power of saying, well, you know, I was hanging out with so and so last night, 
And, uh, you know, a lot of times it doesn't turn out well for you. These guys are predators. These guys, you know, the, if they're, if they're going to be friends with you in, in, in any sense, it's to see what they can get from you. Uh, it's, it's almost like being in prison. Like, you don't want to take anything from them. And... No, because you never know what's going to turn around. I got lucky, and I wound up meeting a couple guys that were involved that actually a couple of times said, hey, if you need help with something or these guys are bothering you, uh, let me know. Not because I was one of them, but because I always thought that they thought I was pretty harmless and I wasn't really involved in their world. So there was a couple right. of times where I had to say, hey, man, like, come on, what's going on? So, And there are other right. times where it didn't work out too well for me either, but... Right, and is there... There's a lot of... Oh, got it, got it. it, it so their, their presence around the world of the strip club, it, how, how does that work exactly? Is it is it all tied up in mutual business interest with the uh, strip club owner? Is it just that they hang around that sort of environment because it's a seedy kind of underground-ish environment? Or like what... What is that that uh, brings those elements into the fold? I can proudly say, as much as I had uh, problems with uh, the old owner and uh, neither one of us are big fans of each other, we were one of the few clubs in our area that said, no, you guys can come in, you guys can do what you want, but you don't have any say over the business and you right. definitely don't tell us what to do. He was very strong in that regard. A lot of other mm -hmm. the other clubs you would go into, it almost seemed like it was their second off. Right. Snap right. their fingers and somebody would jump to attention. He flat out told them, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I own this and I own this solely. And then we were basically the guys who had to force, which is easier said than done. It's one thing dealing with a bunch of tough guys at the door and telling them they got to go. It's another thing dealing with 15 guys that are from, uh, I won't name any gang, but are from a pretty powerful gang and say, oh, yeah, well, we'll be back. So, yeah, yeah, that, I was going to say, because, um, yeah, it's not just easy to say, you know, stay away from me because it's uh, in the nature of criminals. They're not going to they're not going to want to listen. So it, ha it had to be an ongoing source of pressure. Well, nobody can lose face is the way I always yeah. try and describe it. And the difference okay. was I had to lose face without totally bending over backwards for them. And they had to lose face. They couldn't lose face by making it look like I was telling them what to do. So it was a really hard balancing act that I didn't, I didn't always do very well, but we did have some other guys, some of the guys that I mentioned before that were much tougher than I was that, that, you know, helped. It was, it was definitely a team effort to, to, there was no way to get rid of them. They were going to, they were going to be there. Those guys hang out there all the time. That's the kind of thing they like, but we definitely kept it out of the business. Set. But then the problem is you get guys who want to individually deal with them or guys who get favors from them or buy drugs from them. And that's when things start getting messed up. Right. Now, talk to me. I'm interested also, especially because you're a writer, this makes you atypical as a writer, and you're the sort of writer I really like for this reason, is that you are tough. I'm just curious about how that goes, because obviously to be a writer, you're also sensitive and thoughtful and philosophical, but then you have to be in this role, you have to be tough every day. I'm wondering if that takes exertion, if it's stressful, or if it's just part of the nature of who you are. Like, how would you describe that? I think it's just a little bit me. I'm, you know, I'm 5'10", I'm 230, and I just, maybe I still carry that look from the bar and stuff, but you see people get intimidated or walk away from you sometimes, where yeah. I feel like I have to take the pains and say, no, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a bad yeah, guy. It's yeah, yeah. You don't it's want to be too intimidating. It's kind of a mix. I would never view myself as a tough guy. I would never view myself as, uh, you know, as, as somebody who wants to go out intimidating other people. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, it is kind of a difference. There are some experiences that I've talked about with other people where they said, like, how did you do that? And I said, it was just, it was my job. Is what, is what we yeah, I mean, there's a certain, a certain level you have to operate on where you have, especially to be a bouncer. And I know the job became much more complicated, but uh, 
you have you have to be able to wield your intimidation and, and deal with people. Luckily, like I said, I was always kind of known. If we had to fight, I would. There was a, there were times where, you know, I, I will readily admit it. There were guys that were much tougher than I was, and I would just say, you know what, we can't deal with these guys. We have we, you know we have to get rid of them. And unfortunately, yeah. that sometimes that didn't turn out in our favor either. But it's funny when you try and explain explain it to people because they just they get this dead eyed look that you know. I was a sheriff walking through town shooting people. Not at all. I mean, I yeah, made a yeah. lot of I made a lot of deals with a lot of people to keep the peace and to just to have things run properly. Got it. Okay. How do you? I was going to say, how do you determine what you're going to put in? Um, because you say it's not so fictional, and a lot of it is kind of real. So, how do you determine what stories you're going to put in and what about the story you're going to put in? Uh, what I basically did was <clears throat> I came up with a theory for the first book about basically what it is, is uh, longtime friends of mine who are in one gang have decided to move up into the big time, so to speak. And I kind of show it from their lens and how it affects everybody around us. Being that, uh, I don't know how much you guys follow this, but I I've seen this before. I've read about this before. Uh, the one big thing that happened on in Ontario in the, the mid to late 90s was the Hells Angels. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Decided they were coming to Ontario. Uh, if you follow the, the outlaw uh, biker scene at all, you know, these guys are for years have been known as the gold standard. These guys are the top of the top. They take who they, the, you know, they take who they want and they're uh, historically very hard to deal with. What happened with us was things became a shambles in Ontario. And I took little side pieces of that to push the story along. That there are two main characters in the book that uh, decide that they're going to go with a bigger gang. And it kind of turns out for one guy, it doesn't turn out for the other guy. Which I thought made it a little more realistic that, you know, I didn't want a downer horrible ending to the story, but I didn't want to everybody lives happily ever after either because, you know, neither one of them happened. I mean, they do happen, but not a lot. Did, did you have some sort of a a goal in, in the fact of what people get out of the book? So when someone reads your book at the end of it, other than the story or some of the things in the book, was there another purpose or another thing you were trying to get across to the, to the reader? I, I don't want to get up on my high horse here or my soapbox or whatever you want to call it, but people can definitely change things. I had, <clears throat> luckily I came from a great family who's my father stepped in about 12 years ago and said, what are you doing? Like, you want to wake up and be a 40 year old bouncer? Like, you know, do you want to worry about, you know, people waiting for you after work? Why don't you go back to school? I had already had a, uh, a BA in politics. I said, why don't you go back and become a teacher and a writer? It's what you always wanted to do anyway. And I said, how am I going to do that now? I have a house, I have responsibilities, I have things to, to, to take care of. And he stepped in, him, him and my mom had done uh, fairly well financially. He said, I will pay for you to go back to school as long as you take care of all of your other things. Mm. So that, that was what set everything in motion. And just to show that people can change. I think a lot of people in everyday life, you know, are trapped. Uh, yeah. it, it was a hard slog. I still had to work here and there. I still, you know, you felt like a bum because I had to go by this time. Unfortunately, my dad, I uh, never got to see the success, but I would have to go to my mom and say, you know, can I have 300 bucks? Like, I got to pay this bill. But it was working towards yeah. a goal. So I think if, if it'd like to get anybody out of anything, then, you know, you can change this. You can improve it. You, the whole 20th century idea that we are, or 21st century now going into this century, that we are uh, defined by our jobs, I, I think it's just insane. It seems yeah. to be the biggest part of everybody's personality that, you know, this is what you do for a living. So, well, I, yeah. I can't believe he went and did that. You know, he's a, he's a businessman. He's, you know, he interviews yeah. people on, on the internet. That, to me, that doesn't make any sense. We all, almost everyone alive has so many different facets to them that, that other people wouldn't see. Yeah, I think also in this century, it's, uh, you know, especially in, in my generation, so many people switch careers so often that it sort of uh, exposes the lie you're talking about. Because I, I know people that have done like an array of different things and they've done them all well. It's like, oh, right, because, you know, because you're human and you can apply your skills and talents to this or that. So it doesn't have to be hyper-specialized. And uh, that is a really good perspective because I can get caught up in that and uh, having to deprogram from like, I am a writer or no, what am I? I'm a filmmaker. No, no, what am I? I'm on the radio. What, how does it look? Or I'm a journalist. And like it, uh, it, it often seems like a mess, but at a certain point, it's like, yeah. well, you know, just gotta, I got to try and go with the flow. 
You know, it, I, to to give you a personal example, I idolized my father. My father just seemed to be one of those guys who uh, always did the right thing. Had four kids. Uh, was with my mom. It would have been fifty years had he had he made it through uh, through his sickness. But uh, my dad was a windstorm. <laughs> my my dad had no problem having a couple of beers. My dad had no problem telling you when you were pissing him off or you were doing the wrong thing. But yeah. <laughs> he had so many facets to him, and he'd been a truck driver for his whole career. He'd had other opportunities where he could have moved into the office and he could have did, done things, but he did very well uh, being a teamster and he stayed with uh, driving the truck right till he retired. And every now and then people would come over and, you know, they'd see him with a pile of books or they'd talk to him and then say, you know, what, what would your dad do for a living? And I, oh, he's a truck driver. No, come on. What does he really do? Yeah. So, you know, was, was he defined by driving that truck? Absolutely not. But it's what allowed him to live the way he did. And they, you know, they were quite comfortable after he retired. So, I'd kind of like to do, you know, I'd like to do the same thing in my own way. I, I enjoy my teaching and I enjoy my writing, but you know, is this fully everything I'm ever going to do? I, I would hope not. Yeah. That's a really, that's a really healthy point of view because it keeps you uh, like fertile, expansive, you know, you're not, uh, I think it's very, very easy to become obsessive about your vocation. And like you said, let it define you. And it's like, it has to be the nature of every single thing you're doing or expressing. And that gets really stale. It does. And when your job, again, like not to put down what he did for a living, uh, it's why I'm, I'm where I am. But, you know, would you really come home and obsess about your truck 24 hours a day? Would you really be worried about what the other guys were doing when you weren't there? No, like that was his job. And he went in. I remember him doing extremely long hours when, when we were kids. And sometimes he went on the road briefly and you wouldn't see him for three or four days. But then he decided that, you know, that wasn't a family life. So he made the choice to stay home. You know, and in between that, you know, we didn't hear about the trucking industry. We didn't hear about, you know, when he had to go on strike. I'm sure there was some huge uh, issues that came up, like they always do between relationships, but we never saw any of that. So I'd, I'd kind of like to do the same thing in my own life. Like, is this what I'm doing? Yeah. And right now, I'm, you know, I'm kind of digging it, but I, I've got my problems too. So, hey, you know, it, it all it all fits into the same glass, I guess. Yeah, at some point you may pivot. You never know. Yeah, you yeah, go back be. to stripping. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. I was, I was, you know, it, it's funny because still the most recent one was probably about three months ago where the guy that I started with said, you know, if things are really down, unfortunately we can't do it now because I, I don't know how uh, situations are in lockdowns where you guys are, but we're actually, I have to watch the news when I'm done with you guys. Supposedly because no one's paying attention, we're going into even stricter lockdown at the end of the month. Okay. So I feel bad for the guys who decided to stay in the business because now uh, when did they shut everything down? They shut everything down in the spring, and then they let you briefly reopen, and then they shut everything down again. Some of these guys haven't worked for six months. So, you know, that's pretty it's pretty tight on your wallet. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, does, it, does that affect your writing? Uh, it, it, it might, but it won't for now because I had an idea of how the second one wanted to be. I'm actually not used to being home as much as this because I was always a guy who went out or I was always, always a guy who had something to do. And it's, it's affected my personal life a little bit, but I mean, nothing is, nothing is insurmountable right now. I would definitely not say I'm one of those people who are miserable, but as Eric and I talked about politics, the first time we met, I, you yeah. know, I guess the older I get, I'm kind of trying to veer in the middle that being too far to one side, either side just isn't compatible with my, with my personality. If other people want to do that or be that stringent about something, that's fine. But you know, I just, I don't, I don't feel that it suits me at all. Well, yeah. But uh, uh, so I just wonder, so now when you're doing um, 
these books, where do you get your characters from then? Uh, again, some people are based solely on people I knew, composites. Uh, there's one guy who takes every opportunity to tell everybody he was based on one of the characters. He's really proud about it. But what I've tried to do more and more of the story is going forward now, I'm trying to make the, uh, I'm trying to make it a little more fictional. The main character is obviously based on me. Uh, and there are quite a few people in there that, that other people would recognize, but it's just, I saw enough of how people from, that I had to deal with work with. I'd like to make things a little more fictionalized because I really don't want to hurt anybody with this either. I can't believe how many, how many authors I see, you know, you, you know, you took the petty way out of naming this guy because he, you know, he was some guy who made fun of you in grade four and stuff. I, I don't need that. Yeah. I don't need that at all. <laughs> well, you know. So, yeah, but um, so where do you think you're going to draw these, you know, because these characters, so they're not really the person you're thinking of. Like, you, you have someone in mind, but you want to make them independent of that person, the real person. So where do you think you're going to draw that from? I easily have 25 years of being in that business <laughs> to rely on it. Even after I left the, even after I left the strip clubs, I went to go work at uh, the, the biggest nightclub in town. And by the time I left, I pretty well became the old guy. I was the guy that they would come, you know, and say, well, what do you think of this? Or what do you think of that? I was never the guy in charge, but it kind of, I didn't have to do the, the grunt work that the, the young guys did, but I never had to do anything too forceful. So I still met all kind of people over the years. So there's, there's basically, there's a well from 2015 till about, maybe three years ago, still, still the draw on for people to kind of make these characters about. So what's your, what's your practices of writing? How do you do it? Like, um, are you doing, did you sit down and just go do you sign times or does it have to be at a certain time? People are, the biggest argument seems to be everywhere now that are you a planner or are you a pantser? And I'm definitely okay. a pantser. I have those couple of ideas in my head. Yeah. I hate relying on everybody else's cliches, but I'm definitely a pantser. I have that thing in my head, but you're not going to come into my little office and find, uh, you know, charts of, you know, well, why, why would the character do this? And what's his motivation? I've had the ideas, but to me, what's worked so far, especially for the first one, it's struggling a little bit for the second one because it's not as new. I just sit down and start writing. And then if I have to go back and edit it, then we'll edit it. If I have to go back and change things, change things. But the planning is not... It hasn't been a big part of it, which is kind of the total opposite of what I have to do when I'm teaching. So I don't know. It's worked for me so far. I really don't want to change it. I, for somebody who has to write an entire four or five pages to explain what your character is about or what his motivation would be or his backstory, that's fine. But to me, you know, let's just sit down and write this and we can always go back and change it. Nothing is ever written in stone. So if it's bad, we change it. If it's good, we, you know, we keep it. So, yeah, I always feel that uh, with backstory and motivation, you know, human beings are eternal. So mm -hmm. I feel like uh, in my process, the best thing to revert to is your instinct because uh, your intuition is going to sort of capture that poetic note of the eternal nature of a given person more than writing five pages about their backstory ever could. So it nobody, seems like, yeah. Nobody is going to come up with something new at this point. It's just not right. going to happen. Uh, I've had the privilege of, of having people from both sides of the fence in law enforcement okay. saying, no, that's pretty well how it turns out. So I'd like to think I'm on the right track. If things yeah, get it's too, just using your, using your instinct. Yeah, if things get too over the top, well, that's also because it's fiction. But uh, I, was always, I was always a little negative and one of those guys. That would never happen. Well, okay, maybe it wouldn't happen. But I'm writing a book, so I can, I can write whatever the hell I want. 
yeah. But yeah, I don't know the the whole over planning and all that. Again, if it works for some people, great. I'm a little. I'd like to think I'm a little more meticulous when I'm writing out my teachings, but for the book, it just doesn't work for me. You're not going to come in here and find, uh, you know, manuscripts and manuscripts and, and full of note paper. The, the The first book was probably rewritten twice with mm-hmm. the with the help of Jerry Langton saying, you know, take this out or this wouldn't fit here, or having the mistake of being new and you know was it you know all of a sudden i tried to jump into speaking in first person second person third person no no no, you know pick one and leave it little things like that i i think that i think the structure i think the structure is much more important than what you actually put down on the page for me at this point do you do you feel that being uh more spontaneous in terms of what you put down on the page does that help you make it more emotional does it give it more of an aliveness it makes it a little more emotional for me i don't know if other people will see that but Again, just this whole too much planning is just, I don't know, it's just, it's not me. And it, I, I don't know, it, I, I would always, one thing that I tried to do with the first book that hopefully will carry into the second book is, I just, from the, from the minute this book starts, I, I want people not to be able to catch their breath, just to see yeah. how crazy this whole lifestyle was. So to do that and plan out and have a big scene where, you know, I'm getting dressed in the morning. Man, a lot of times I woke up in the clothes from the night before, and I, I had <laughs> I had 10 minutes to get out the door and get back to work. So, you know, big scenes about, well, you know, I laid out my tie and I got a good shape. I, 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 to me, that doesn't help my story. Yeah, so yeah. I, there's I would rather it be a lot more spontaneous. Yeah, there's definitely a, a tension. I'm holding the book in my hands right now. There's definitely a, a, like a, a tangible sense of tension and authenticity. And I think uh, you describing your process that you're not so much caught up in the planning, but this more those structural choices that definitely pays off. Yeah, which is kind of crazy because, again, saying, you know, from the teaching and saying from what my job was in the bar, I was the guy who had to plan all the stuff. And guys mm. would always grab it and say, no, man, do it like this. And say, please, trust me. I know what I'm doing here. Just let me take care of this. So it's kind of, I don't know, the antithesis, I guess, <laughs> to say how it's yeah. going. But it worked yeah. really well for the first one. And, again, you know, hate trotting out the old cliches, but I've always been a firm believer of, you know, A, you don't reinvent the wheel and, you know, B, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, leave it the way it is until we have to go back and change it. Nice. Do you have any influences like that that you read? Any writers? Uh, I wouldn't say any one specific one. Jerry himself, Jerry Lincoln, has been a huge uh, influence uh, in basically my big problem with crime stories is that there's usually one of two things. And I don't know if this is still the effect from uh, Hunter S. Thompson and all those uh, crazy rebels from the late 60s, early 70s, but everybody seems to want to insert themselves into the story. Yeah. Or they want to kind of stop and give you a comment about it. Uh, or the flip side to it is, especially with organized crime, people are either glorifying what these guys are doing or people are, uh, you know, just using it as, as, a, as, a, as an instance to take shots at. You know, they're such losers, you know, they'd never be able to get a regular job. Some of these guys I met were brilliant. They just happened to be criminals. That's what they did for a living. And I guess what I always liked about Jerry's style of writing, I've got all his books here up on, on, on the small bookshelf, is just he, he was telling you the story. There was enough research done there that he could validate and back up what he was saying. Uh, there are some other Canadian crime authors. I read a lot of Eve Levine's book. He's well known for writing books he's well known about writing for that about the hell's angels and that and up until this point up until then it was just before it was fiction i just always dug whatever i could get myself uh in terms of fictional fictional books i never went the uh 
you know, everybody considers it blasphemy, but I never went the Stephen King route. I read all the Mario Puzo stuff because I was organized crime. I read Dean Koontz for a while. Uh, those kind of things. I just, I enjoy, I enjoy a book that I could breathe through, but I also enjoy something that I have to stop and think about that might, the subject matter might be something that I, I've never personally dealt with. So it's a little all over the map. Okay. Okay. So now how do people find you? Do you have a website or, um, uh, for now, my biggest ones, uh, the one that seems to be the most helpful, if you go on Facebook, I'm under my real name, uh, under Paul Lafferty. That will lead you to the pages, which I uh, have the down the lane uh, book page. I have the down the lane author page. I'm trying to put a blog together, but what happened uh, was what we were talking about before we turned on the interview. I just, I just recently got picked up by Crossroads Press. So they're going to be getting, uh, taking the first book, re-releasing it. And they're going to be doing the audiobook and all that stuff. For now, if anybody wants to look it up, your best bet would be to go down down the lane book.com. All one big word, which leads us to Amazon and other sites where you can buy the book. And if you're looking for what what new stuff I'm working on right now or what I'm doing, uh, I'm also on Twitter at down the lane book. Twitter seems to be for me the most palatable of the uh of the platforms, it seems to be where I'm having the most fun. I'm not, you know, putting my personal life into it. I'm not putting other things into it. I'm not getting sidetracked. It's, it's about the book. So those would be the best ones. But people could definitely start with downthelanebook.com. They bring you right to Amazon. Then you can see the reviews that are up there and decide if this is something that is for you. Fantastic. We'll have that on our site as well. That'd be um, great. prepared legacy food storage the best way to protect your family is by being prepared go now to legacyfoodstorage.com use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off quick go Find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia 
gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. 